Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat with the Northwest Career Services Office, where we chat with Northwest staff, faculty, and students to find out about their career paths and how they came to be Bearcats. I am Northwest Internship Coordinator Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Assistant Director of Career Services. And today we are joined by Adam Gonzalez, who is a coordinator of equity and inclusion in the Northwest Diversity Equity and Inclusion Office. No. I've yet to get a title right. So. <laughs> Travis, it's, it's okay. Travis. Well, I still get mail. I still get mail in the student union that says director of diversity okay. and inclusion. And I'm like, no, that's not me. So coordinator of diversity and inclusion. Coordinator, okay. We do very much care about equity on this campus okay. stuff. So you weren't completely off. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Oh, that's good. Uh, explanations yeah. help us out mm -hmm. so much. Yeah. All right, we're going to start out with the first question. Okay. I love to ask first question. First ever, we're kind of talking about work here. Okay, cool, first yeah. ever job. So first ever job. Not paid by your parents. Didn't pay you to do this. It was Correct. paid by someone else. And you were, uh, what was my other qualification? You you were working. You were getting paid. Yeah, you were getting. And you okay. weren't getting paid by your parents. Okay. So fun fact. Um, growing up, I never was one of those kids that got paid to do chores. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> hey, you live here and you don't have to live on the street. So no, you're gonna do this. So. <laughs> I never had those jobs where I got paid by my That's family. why I qualified um, that, right? Yeah. But my first ever job would have been um, working in the fields outside of my hometown. Um, we had, I believe, one of my aunts or uncles had a friend who had a small farm outside of Pampa, Texas. Uh, look it up. It's rural. <laughs> um, Pampa, Texas. And this woman had, I don't, I don't know acres. I don't know land size. It, it seemed big. Like a big. Yeah. I was like <laughs> 11. So I was just like, oh my gosh. Um, but my friend and I would in the summers, we would get dropped off there literally on the side of the highway and we would um, hoe weeds away from the plants. And so at the beginning of the summer, we were hoeing the weeds away as the plants were kind of growing. And then towards the end of the summer, we were actually harvesting by hand Um green beans, uh, squash, okra, things like that. Mm -hmm. And so we would just go up and down the rows all morning. And uh, usually we would work from about 7 a.m. to about noon or one o'clock. And then she didn't want us out there when it was too hot. So we appreciated that. And usually we would uh, catch a ride back home and then go to the city pool and hang out. Um, but that was my first job gotcha. that I got paid for. Harvesting yeah. vegetables. And it was really funny because she used to pay us by the hour and then I guess we weren't productive enough for whatever. So she said, okay, I'm going to pay you by the row. Oh, well, gotcha. Well, so what we did was we kicked it in high gear and started making more money. And she was like, okay, I'm going back to pay you, paying you by the hour. <laughs> Just keep your productivity up. We're like, okay, whatever. You know, incentivizing things helps. I like, to, I like to move into, so that was your first job. So what did you see yourself doing as a career when you were a kid? Maybe at 11, at 12. Like, what were your ambitions? I was that kid that if you asked, I would have eight different answers, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I loved to sing. I loved acting. I was always in theater. Um, I loved sports, but I, I was real with myself. I was like, <laughs> I was like, you're never going to play professional sports. And I was okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, I, a couple things that I always wanted to do, um, one especially was to teach. I was always interested in being a teacher. I don't know why, um, but I also was very passionate about the arts. And mm -hmm. so acting, singing, dancing. And um, so, but I would say teaching for sure was always something that was a big part of 
what I wanted to do. I don't know if it was, I don't know why. I don't know if I had any teachers that I particularly wanted to be like, Mm -hmm. um, or if it was just, I liked being in front of people and talking. Uh, I have no problem talking. You may pick that (laughs) up. Um, but, uh, I, teaching was, was a big one. Yeah. And at some point, because of my, the environment I was raised in, I was raised in a very Catholic environment. Mm -hmm. Um, church, was sort of an escape for me. Um, I had not the best home life growing up, and so church youth group and um, uh, youth stuff was always like kind of my escape. It was like, hey, I want to go on this trip or I want to do this service thing or, or go volunteer. And when you're a young Catholic boy who's really involved in church and really excited to be mm-hmm. a, in church, everyone from the time you can remember says, oh, you're going to be a great priest. Right. And so at some point you hear that enough and you start to believe it, and you're like, yeah, maybe – this is just my destiny. Like mm-hmm. I was born in, born to do this. And so at some point I wanted to be a priest. Um, gotcha. And then I did pursue that for a little while and then said, nope, it's not for me. <laughs> Let's back up between the, the veggies and the priesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do any other jobs in between there? I did. did. You- I did. So I, um, I was one of those kids who pushed around a lawnmower around gotcha. my neighborhood, yeah. mowed lawns. Um, I got my first, well, I also worked in my aunt's restaurant. I was a bus boy for a while, um, occasionally waiting tables, um, mm-hmm. to pick up, to, um, cover for other people's shifts. And then I worked for a grocery store. So as soon as I could legally work, um, you know, fill out like an official, right. <laughs> you know, employment document at 15, I went to work for United Supermarkets, which is a, which was a regionally owned, uh, supermarket chain in the Texas Panhandle. And I was a sacker. Gotcha. And that was would have been, I was 15. And then the last time I worked for United, I was 24 or 5, give or take. Mm-hmm. So off and on, I had different positions there. So I went from sacker, checker. I used to do the demo handout things. I was kind of like a salesperson. I was really good at that. And um, I'm like, hey, you want to buy a, samples yeah, wanna buy a cart of guacamole? Cool, here you go. So I was good at that. I worked in the bakery. I worked in... Frozen foods, um, uh, dairy, you know, I held a couple different management positions. So, gotcha. yeah, I have a long history with that company. Gotcha. So, okay. So then did you graduate from high school and decide you were going to be a priest? Like while you're working at the grocery store, of course. So then where did you go after you graduated? So I do have to say my senior year of high school, I had three jobs. Mm-hmm. So I worked at the grocery store. I worked for a catering company. Uh, which was kind of occasionally like different events on weekends. And then I worked at the um, the Chancery, which is just a big fancy antiquated word for the headquarters of the Diocese of Amarillo, which was gotcha. the Roman Catholic Church, the diocese. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I worked in the archives. So I was the archivist assistant. And um, usually I would work there from about when I got out of school around 345 um, up until about five. 5.30, and then I would go work at the grocery store until about 10 or 11, and then the catering job was on the well, weekends. Weekend. Yeah, gotcha. but I I moved from a public school in my hometown of Pampa, Texas, to a private school in Amarillo, Texas, about an hour away uh, for my junior and senior years. Gotcha. And so at that point, I was pretty much set on going to seminary. I was like, hey, right I'm going to do this. School. Yeah, gotcha. I'm going to do this priest thing. So I graduated high school in 2007. I joined the, the seminary at that time, and um, fall of 2007, I went to Columbus, Ohio, to the Pontifical College Josephinum. <laughs> it is as pretentious as it sounds, and um, I did a year there. How did you find that? 
How did you find that college? So or? my diocese sent me. Okay. So the bishop, they the just bishop, said, here's where you need to go. Yeah. There's like okay. a council of people who decide, gotcha. you know, this is where we're going to send everyone. So for example, um, Kansas city, um, the diocese of Kansas city, St. Joe usually sends to conception seminary college, which is not far from here. Gotcha. Um, I think now they've kind of diversified where they send folks depending on other places, depending too. on who they are, what, what best fits them. Mm -hmm. um, but I was sent to the Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio, uh, which was a very prestigious, very academically rigorous institution. Mm -hmm. And I was not ready for that whatsoever. Being first-gen college, being, I mean, I guess I was pretty bright. Usually I didn't have to work too hard to pass my classes. You know, somehow I managed three jobs and classes and all that, but it just was very challenging. Um, a lot of writing, a lot of a lot reading. Of, a lot of writing, a lot of reading. Um, we were thrown into like logic courses ah. and stuff like that. And I don't feel like I was properly prepared to to be in that kind of environment. Um, I don't think I had the academic discipline, the study, the studying skills, the note taking skills. Mm -hmm. um, also, it was very culturally different than what I was used to. Like um, Catholicism has many different ways and forms of expression and worship and all kinds of things. Um, but also just culturally, it, it can shift by region. Mm -hmm. And the North is so different from like West Texas, where we had like mariachis in church and stuff. And <laughs> up North, it was like half the half of everything's in Latin. And there's all these other rituals and symbols that I was like, I've never seen this in my life. Hmm. Right. So, so it was kind of a culture shock. So you're in Ohio mm -hmm. and you're feeling like you're not really like this is not your gig, right? So what do you do at that point? So I did a year there, and then over the summer I went back to Amarillo, and I worked in the diocese. I worked at a church, and uh, then it was time to go back, and I was really struggling that sophomore year, and for a number of reasons. Um, you know, uh, there was the whole academic thing, and I just, things weren't clicking. Uh, there was some um, stuff going on at home with my family, and I ended up taking a year off. And so I said, hey, I just need to take a year off, deal with some stuff, grow a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, stayed in Texas. I did. So gotcha. I went back to Texas. I stayed in Amarillo, um, went back to work at the grocery store. <laughs> and uh, um, and so I took that year to really just grow and really kind of figure out like, hey, is this the path I'm going to go down or mm -hmm. am I going to try something else? And then when it was time, when I finally decided, okay, I'm going to go back to seminary, the diocese at that time had decided that they were no longer going to send people to Columbus, Ohio because of all the people they sent, None of us made it through the program. Mm. Um, and they said, well, we're going to send you to um, to study at Conception Seminary College in Conception, Missouri. And I was like, okay. They're like, yeah, you're going to be um, you're going to be studying at a Benedictine monastery. I was like, oh, okay. They're like, yeah, and you're not going to be in the city the way you were in Columbus across the street from a Buffalo Wild Wings and an AMC, you know. They're like, I was like, so, so is this is like in a small town? They're like, no, it, it kind of is – it's in a cornfield. <laughs> so I was like, okay, not Columbus, taught by monks in a cornfield. And so that's how I ended up at Conception Seminary College for four years. And um, it was a very good four years. I grew a lot. And although um, I have no formal relationship with the Catholic Church at this point, that was not my lifestyle. That's not, I just decided that wasn't for me. Um, I'm still very thankful for that experience. So did you have a major? Did you get to pick a, a major? I guess I'm not you don't get to choose anything in the Catholic Church. It's, everything's <laughs> chosen for you. Um, I say that jokingly, but but the what serious. What types of majors so, are there available at a at a monastery school? So in seminary, the the United States Catholic 
the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, they basically say these are the requirements for people who are going to be priests mm-hmm. in the United States. And this is what they need to study. This is the degree they need to have. This is yada, yada, yada. And so um, for anyone going into seminary, you have to have um, your undergrad has to be in philosophy. Gotcha. And if you, let's say I, let's say I had come to Northwest and I got a degree in biology. Well, I would still have to do about two years of leveling with philosophy before I could go on to grad school, which would be theology. Oh, so, I see. Yeah, Is so, that also a two-year program? So even if you four had- Four years. Oh, four years. So you'd still have to go back and redo or, or catch up, I guess, mm-hmm. in your coursework. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I did some, some stuff from the Josephinum transferred. Again, I didn't do too well there academically, so some stuff didn't transfer. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Um, but then once I got to conception, I was there for four years, and I, I have a Bachelor of Arts in philosophy. Okay. So and what if, was it about that experience in conception that, that was better for you than it was in Ohio? Uh, conception was a, um, it was a different culture. It was, much, it was much more relaxed, but not in like a, hey, it's a free-for-all, do what you want. It was still very rigorous and very structured. Everything about seminary is very structured from what you wear to when you wear it to what time you get up to where you are at any given time of day, who you're around, what you're reading, what you're watching. All of that is very structured. But Conception just had a different approach. It, Conception, the monks there very much have an approach of they, they have a very human centered approach where the Josephinum was conform, 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 be like this, be like this, be like this. Um, and Conception said, hey, we want to know who you are. And we want to help you grow into who you who you are and who you are meant to be. And so it was less of, uh, in the seminary studies in the church, there's always this conformity required kind of, mm-hmm. of, of leaders, which has its place. Um, but conception just took a more realistic, more compassionate approach than the Josephinum, which kind of had some antiquated ways of driving mm. home certain things. Gotcha. So philosophy degree. What does young Adam, where does he strike out there from after graduation? Where does he go? Yeah, what so does he do? I graduated from Conception Seminary College in May of 2013. And like I said, Conception, for those who aren't familiar with it, is a college that is on the same grounds as a monastery, mm-hmm. as Benedictine monks, um, who don't take a vow of silence and who don't just walk, sit around and pray all day. Like they're very active. Uh, many of them were my and professors. Yeah, yeah, they're teaching. They're, teaching they're from monks, my professors. Right? And so that's where we go full circle back to me wanting to teach. I thought to myself, well, I could go on and continue my studies to be a priest and maybe go back to Amarillo and be a priest and all these things. But during my time there, the other thing I saw was like how the monks lived and the way they lived out their life. And I was really inspired by that. And I liked the fact that some of them just wanted to teach and inspire other young people. And so for a brief time, I thought, hey, I could do that. And so rather than study for the Diocese of Amarillo, I chose to go under the sponsorship of the monastery. And when I graduated, I actually joined the monastery. Uh, so I graduated in May. I joined the monastery on June 17th of 2013. Um, and I was there throughout the summer. And then September 23rd was when I said, yeah, this isn't for me. And so then I left and I went back to Amarillo. So it was like your internship. You had like a monk internship, right? Basically, but, I yeah. I mean, in, yeah. inadvertently, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was a postulant and then I became a novice. Um, mm-hmm. Those are different levels that you kind of get to. And uh, so then I left in September 20, September 23rd, 2013. And I went back to Amarillo and kind of was like, okay, what is life for Adam when he's not 
a monk, a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Something that he's considered himself to be mm-hmm. for most of his young life, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of this like mid, early 20s identity crisis. You could, mm-hmm. mid 20s identity crisis, you know? And I think tons of students especially, like yeah. that resonates with them. Can you speak to maybe that experience being valuable? An experience of, hey, I tried this thing that I thought I would always want to be. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I figured out it didn't work out for me. Like, how did you know that? Yeah, so I knew it. I knew it as soon as I realized that um, there, I, I don't like to use the words passion and fire, like, you know, um, just just throwing them around. But I, there, there just really was this sense that I wasn't ever going to be who the church needed me to be, being my authentic self. Mm-hmm. And first and foremost, I always encourage students and I encourage everyone to, to, to be your authentic self, be who you are, and then... And then see where you fit, right? Don't try to fit in before without being who you are. Right. Um, and so for me, one, as a gay man, I knew there was that was always going to be an issue mm-hmm. being being in the clergy. Um, not to say that there aren't gay clergy, but there's an expectation that you don't talk about it, you don't acknowledge it, you don't you mm-hmm. you, you basically walk around sorry, feeling sorry for it. And for me, it's who I am, it's how I was born. I can't I couldn't reconcile those two things. So I said, hey, let's just go our separate ways. You know, like this is not going to work. So I always encourage students, first and foremost, be authentic to you and then decide where where you're going to fit in Um, because there's a place for everyone. My place was not in the Catholic Church, and I'm okay with that. And Mm -hmm. honestly, the Catholic Church is kind of like, cool, glad glad you're okay. Keep doing your thing in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I always tell students, you know, sometimes I find myself on the road at recruiting college fairs, talking to high school students, and I can just see the anxiety in their in their eyes, right? They're, they're like, well, I'm a junior and I just don't know what I want to study and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, try to make it through homecoming. You're okay. Yeah. Like, have fun right now. Like, have fun. And I tell them, you know, most of our students end up changing their major at some point. You know, we, we get to college and we say, hey, I'm really interested in this subject. And then maybe your roommate is has a different major and they start telling you about what they're studying and you say, oh, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. I can do that. I can study that. And then they switch paths, you know, or they take an elective and it gets them into something else. And I always tell students, like, be open because we are, as human beings, we're very complex. We're very messy and we, we change and we grow over time. You know, what's important to a junior in high school is going to look different once they get to college. Yeah. So did you go back to the grocery store? I did. When I went to Amberlo, I did. Yeah, I'm telling you. It's like, it was this, it was this like, hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm gone. I did go back and work at the grocery store for a little while. Mm-hmm. I was a frozen food manager. And then um, I got into CrossFit and I had, I had been doing CrossFit a little bit. I had had some friends who invited me to a class and I was like, hey, this whole like working out together, kind of pushing community each other. Kind of community kind right? Yeah. See, so there's this community thread throughout right? my entire gotcha. story. And so, um, so for me, I got. I went back to working out, and I was like, "Hey, I enjoy this. It was good social interaction for me." And then, after a while, I was approached uh, by one of the coach, the head coach, who said, "Hey, you're really good at this. Like, I, I've always been kind of like a physical." I remember I picked up a tennis racket one day because my friends invited me to play tennis, and this was in sixth grade. And then that summer, um, I, I literally had played tennis like twice, just goofing around. That summer, they talked me into trying out for the team, and I made the team. And I was like, <laughs> I haven't been playing all my life. I just am good physically, like, uh-huh. picking up things. And so um, same with CrossFit. It just came natural to me. Um, I'm a mover, you know, and uh, 
So the head coach was like, hey, you're really good at these things. You've picked it up quick, but you're also like a people person and mm -hmm. you naturally are a good teacher. Teacher. <laughs> and he's like, would you ever consider going and getting your certification and then working for us as a coach? Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yes. So while working at the grocery store, I started coaching part-time at a CrossFit gym. Well, down the road, um, that head coach moved on and he said, hey, like, I'm about to take a different job. I want you to replace me. And so for a short time, for a while, um, he kind of he kind of mentored me through that. And um, I eventually took over that facility and I was their facility director and I managed the coaching staff. I taught classes myself. I did all of our marketing communications. I did all of the day to day running of a small business. I, d I did that. Um, so kind of inadvertently ended up in that role. So out of all of those things, enjoying, you know, being physically fit, enjoying community, enjoy teaching, like what stood out to you the most as kind of what matched up with Adam's passion or his fire that you were talking about? For me, it was seeing the impact of my work. So for me, it was helping my clients achieve their goals. I had clients who, you know, who had never stepped foot in a gym, clients who would come in and say, I'm... I'm not in any way like a physically fit person. I'm not the kind of workout person, you know, hashtag gym life kind of thing. <laughs> and they said, but I just had a grandchild and I want to be around long enough to throw a ball with them or to take them walking in the park or, you know, and, and so these people had real life goals, like meaningful goals. And they, they took it upon themselves to, to take their health seriously. And so being able to help them achieve those goals that meant so much to them. It's like a life-changing thing, right? Literally. You're changing their life. Yeah. And so for mm -hmm. me, that was what made it all worth it. On those days where I had to teach a 5 a.m. class or on those days where I'd, I would work a 14, 15-hour day because I taught class after class after class, um, that made it worth it. You know, seeing the impact that something as simple as teaching someone proper running form or proper lifting form um, or just being that person to encourage them to finish the workout Mm -hmm. I knew that there was always a reason behind it. Um, and so that that's what made that worth it for me. Gotcha. So how do you go from CrossFit in Texas to diversity, equity, and inclusion in Maryville? Oh, that's, what's that's that? Long, How's yeah, the bridge so, there? They're just so, identical jobs, Travis. <laughs> so identical, <laughs> Travis. So identical. So um, I worked at that gym. Following that, I got a job at Target. I went into management at Target because I started, I started pulling away from that full-time job and went part-time. And... Um, uh, one of our clients at the gym was in management at Target, and he said, hey, we have an opening if you're interested in getting back into retail. And at the time, it worked for me. It just, mm -hmm. you know, benefits and all that. And and so I got I got back into management, and I went to work at Target, which was really great. I had a great team. It was a good experience. And then about a year later, another gym owner approached me and said, hey, we really like the culture and the way you developed that other gym, and we want to do that with ours. And so... He basically recruited me and I said, hey, you know, I'll do this, but um, it's not going to be a long-term thing. I want to help you get this thing going. I want to help you do the branding, do the opening, and then um, I'm going to pass it back to you. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll use my skills and my talent, but it's going to be like kind of a consultant con yeah. type of basis. And so we opened that gym in June of 2016. And then by October of 2016, we opened a second location in a town not far away. And so I did that for about a year. Um, and then after that, I, uh, after that is when I went and I ended up working for Sprint. Um, so again, customer facing, like get mm -hmm. to talk all day, help people <laughs> solve problems. And during that time, 
um, shout out to Sprint because they have a really great employee assistance program, I was able to get into grad school and I started working on my master's in communication. And also during that time, I was heavily involved for a couple of years. I was heavily involved with an organization in Texas called Equality Texas, which is an, uh, a statewide LGBTQ serving organization that has two components. So it has a C3 and a C4. Um, so it is a nonprofit organization that does mm -hmm. community outreach, education, um, but it's also a C4, which means it gets to do political lobbying. And so, you know, I was involved kind of in both sides of that on the board of directors, both formally and informally. And uh, so I was the representative for our area, for Amarillo. So I led a lot of community outreach efforts, um, education programs. Um, I was going to say that's a lot of responsibility yeah, on the and side. And I mean, fundraising, job, yeah, fundraising, yeah. we would raise. Um, we did we did some pretty major fundraisers every year. And so uh, I was involved in, in that outside of all my other, mm -hmm. my, my day jobs. Um, and so that that position on the board of directors really was what, what brought a lot of things together for me. It was like, hey, I like to educate. I like to bring people together. I like to build community. I like to um, to be I like to to show my passion for social justice. And so then, in the summer of 2018, when this position came available, I was like, it's time. It's time to like formally, you know, get involved in something that is bringing both my my day job and then my free time passions together. And so I gotcha. Here you have Adam Gonzalez, coordinator of <laughs> diversity and inclusion at Northwest Missouri State University. So how, how did you, okay, how did you find out about Northwest? I know you'd been at Conception, mm -hmm. but so, but yeah. Conception and Northwest, you know, kind of still not yeah, the they're same. Yeah, not, they're not the same, but being a student at Conception, we always knew about Northwest. So like, um, I played on the soccer team and sometimes mm -hmm. we would scrimmage against the soccer club here. Gotcha. So I also, um, one of my professors... I'll try to keep this short, but one of my professors <laughs> became one of my great mentors during my time at Conception. And I had said earlier that I was sort of estranged from my biological family due to different um, circumstances and traumatic experiences in my childhood. And so during my time at Conception, I didn't always have a, like a home to go back to, really. Mm -hmm. Like I would kind of stay with friends here and there. And um, so one of my professors, sort of his family sort of took me in and they became um, the same way we do with our international students where we have families who... who sure invite them over for dinner, take them out to a museum, you know, do things with them, help them feel at home. This professor, uh, Dr. Johnson, he and his family were that for me. You know, they sort of took me in and they gave me a place to, to feel at home, to feel welcome, to feel affirmed. And um, then that, that relationship, that family relationship just continued. And they continued to be home for me even after I left the monastery and went back to Amarillo. They continued to be home for me through the CrossFit stuff and the grocery store stuff and the more CrossFit stuff and the sprint stuff and the, the volunteering stuff. And so Dr. Johnson, Paul Johnson, still teaches out at Conception. And his wife, Carolyn, actually teaches, or she, she's a librarian here at Northwest. And so it'll be three years this December, three years ago this December, they contacted me and said, hey, you know, you're, you're a part of our family and we're realizing that more and more and we want to formalize that by legally adopting you. And so they, I, I was like, that's crazy. Lord, I was like, <laughs> wait, people do that? Like, you know, and, um, and it, it just was, it was very meaningful because to me, you know, like when I came out to my biological family, they, they had a really big issue with it. But at the time I was 26, I had already kind of put healthy distance between us mm -hmm. and so you were a, ma a mature adult yeah i was a, i was independent i was mm -hmm. self-sufficient and so so to feel that rejection 
it didn't hurt the same way it might have hurt if I were 16 and had no nowhere right. to go, right? But you know, the Johnsons, they 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 knew what they were getting into. It's like they knew they knew the whole package. They knew Adam mm-hmm. and all my messiness <laughs> and all my gayness and everything. And they were like, "No, we love you. We we, we you are a part of our family." And mm-hmm. um, so downtown at City Hall is where the adoption hearing took place. And um, and so so that was also the connection I had when it came time, you know, in the summer of 2018 when I decided, hey, it's time for me to leave Amarillo. And literally the next day after I decided that, this position was posted. And, That's crazy. you know, yeah, so I was like, hmm, I'll give it a shot. You know, <laughs> let's see what happens. Um, and so so there, there definitely was the, the family connection here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I just, even during my time at Conception, there was something about this area that I just, I liked. It's not always the easiest place to live, especially mm-hmm. for a gay Latino. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, you know, there was, there was a draw there um, and I'm glad I made the decision. That's amazing. You want to go ahead? Yeah. Travis? So I was the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion office. That's something I think a lot of folks that don't work in higher ed, they, they hear names like that. And they, well, what does an office like that do? Mm-hmm. So as a, as a coordinator of diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. what, what do you do on our campus? That like, was my same well, question. Yeah, so good. that worked you know, out I think great. It's, important it's, people know that. it's yeah. so interesting. People, people ask that all the time. And I'm like, well, what, what day do you want to talk about? You know, like <laughs> it, it can change in so many ways. So to give you an example, I, we'll talk about today. So today I got I got to the office and um, of course answering emails which higher ed we know that there's emails and then emails about meetings and then meetings about further emails and then <laughs> we just go in circles. So um, tomorrow I have a recruiting fair in Kansas City that I'm going to be attending um, because I am bilingual and so sometimes some some recruiting fairs are um, positioned at schools that have a higher um, Latino population and so I like to you know, help out and be there to translate, especially for families who may not speak English, um, stuff like that, so that they're getting the same information as everyone else. Uh, So I was coordinating some of that for tomorrow. Um, I also have five student inclusivity coordinators who report directly to me. And so we were kind of planning out, you know, the next week of like social media posts and events coming up that we want to support. All the little details that go with your your supervision duties. Yeah. Uh, Making sure they get their timesheets in and all that. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, um, so there was that. I got interviewed by the Northwest Missourian, literally about recruiting Hispanic students and how that's going and how it's a trend and all this. Um, I'm on this podcast. I'm going to be on a diversity diversity and inclusion uh, strategic planning meeting not long after this. But another component is, so last Friday, I did a safe zone training for the liter- language literature and writing department. And uh, for those who don't know what Safe Zone Training is, Safe Zone Training is essentially, um, think of LGBTQ 101. It's like all the things you didn't know about the LGBTQ communities, you know, in one training, we, we try to be as comprehensive as possible by just sharing information and sharing sort of tools for people to be better allies to LGBTQ students um, and to just fellow employees. Um, because we always want people to be feel safe and affirmed, whether they're here as a student, here as an employee, here as a North as a Maryville community, that community member. piece mm-hmm. again, right? Building community, building yeah. a strong community. Yeah. So, so um, I facilitate a training, and it's it's less of a training, and it's more of kind of a workshop, a working workshop where there's dialogue, and um, so reading through reviews um, from that training, uh, following up with emails from that training, things like that. But also, I think the favorite part of my job is really just interacting and building relationships with students. Um, especially those students, um, we use the term uh, underrepresented or marginalized, minoritized students. Those students who, like me, may be feeling culture shock their first year of college. 
they may be in an area now, um, Northwest Missouri, it's no secret that it is predominantly white, predominantly Christian, it's rural. Um, and so some students come from backgrounds that have nothing to do with either of those three categorizations. And so they may be feeling homesick, they may be feeling out of place, they may feel like they don't belong, they may be feeling the very real effects of implicit bias and racism from various various entities in this area. And they may not have been connected with all the good people that are here either, right? Mm -hmm. So a big part of my job is developing relationships with those students so that those things that those questions that they may have that they don't know who to go to or or concerns they maybe have or things they're going through that they they aren't quite ready to maybe go to the wellness center for counseling for or they may not they may not even know we have wellness a wellness center and counseling available to them for free i'm kind of that buffer for them i'm that person that can get to know them and say hey i'm here for you i care about you let me help you um so sometimes i'm i uh, I'm not an interventionist by any means, but sometimes by nature, I'm that first person that they come to and say, hey, this is going on and life is hard and I don't know what to do. And so for me, I, I see, I take very seriously my relationship with students because I get to be that person that I didn't really have. When I got to the Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio, and I was one of the only Latinos in my class and in this, in this culture that just didn't make sense to me. And struggling and, and struggling and struggling. And struggling, you know, how do you then say, hey, I'm not getting this really basic stuff that all of you seem to know the secret code to. I get to be that, I get to be that person I wish I had for many of our students. That's and, powerful. And you help them share their stories too through yeah. your own podcast. And I have a podcast. I was going to, I was going to avoid oh, saying, talking about in. the, I was going to avoid talking about the podcast, but now that you brought it up. Um, yeah. So I, uh, last, last academic school year, I started a podcast called Northwest Connections and um, I feature students, faculty, staff. And um, but my goal with Northwest Connections was really to recognize the diversity that exists in places we're not used to looking for it. And so through my job, on any given day, I'm kind of all over campus, whether it's doing trainings, meeting with students, meeting with faculty and staff who have questions, going to other random assorted meetings that sometimes I'm like, why am I in here? I don't know. But what I started to recognize is that very often on a, on a campus this big, it's easy for us to get sort of siloed in our offices and we don't always know the person that works three doors down right. or in the next building. And we don't know their story. We don't know where they came from. We don't know why they got into higher ed. We don't, we don't learn those little juicy parts about their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I started to meet more people. And then I would go back to my friends and be like, hey, did you know so-and-so over there? Like they did this really awesome thing this summer and they um, taught in China or they you know, published this paper or they saved this whale. You know, everyone's like, no, I, I don't know. I don't get out of my but office. But that's cool. Yeah. But they're that's like, cool. They're like, for that's sharing, cool, right? <laughs> but I don't know that person, you know, and I've worked here for 10 years. I'm like, oh. And so I started to realize, like, our students aren't always learning across cultures, right? And we as employees, sometimes we don't either. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to take these stories. Think of, like, humans of New York, right? Right. Like, everyday people that you interview and then you hear this story, whether it's good, bad, difficult, sad, happy. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to highlight the people that are doing amazing things here, the amazing people doing amazing things here at Northwest. And so, so yeah, That's Northwest. That's very similar to us. We go a little bit more down the work you, vein. You did yeah. inspire yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, Northwest Connections. I inspired you all. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah, so Northwest Connections, it is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And I found out today it's, like, on three other podcast servers. So Awesome. I don't know how that happened, but, you know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so that's that's also part of what I do, you know, on 
on top of everything else. So for our last question for you, Adam, any, we, we're always looking for wisdom, tips, oh, tricks for a student yeah. or maybe for, for a student who doesn't know where they're going in life or maybe for someone who's going through some sort of transition, any wisdom that you have to share? I, I don't know that I'm ever really good at wisdom, but <laughs> there are a lot of little lessons I've learned in life, right? Like being a member of kind of multiple marginalized communities, you kind of learn to just survive. And I'm fortunate enough that I've had people in my life who've helped me thrive, you know, move past the survivor mode and move moved toward thriving and empowering those around me. And so the biggest thing I can tell students is, and, and anyone really, is to be yourself. And that's something that even even lately I've kind of, um, I have to be honest, that it's sometimes difficult for me because in the position I'm in, um, the somewhat public position I'm in, it's easy to, to do do what is going to create the path of least resistance, right? It's easy for me to fall into a pattern of making the people around me comfortable by being a little less myself. Um, and I have to check myself on that sometimes. And what I find is that the more and more that I am myself, that I am truly authentic to me, the more it feels risky sometimes, you know, to just be me and, to, to, and even on this podcast to talk about some of the things I brought up. It feels risky. But what I find is that there aren't enough of us taking that risk. And what happens is people like me with stories like mine feel alone and they feel nobody's been through what I've been through. Nobody, you know, I don't see anyone who's made it through what I'm going through. And it makes it harder and harder for people to continue to persist through those challenges. And so what I tell folks is that you need to be yourself. And when you can, share your story. Because your story is going to inspire resilience. And it's going to inspire people to move from just getting by, from just surviving, to actually taking pride in themselves, loving themselves, and thriving through whatever they're doing. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah, and we thank you for sharing your story because it definitely well, is inspiring too. <laughs> thank you. Thank All you right. for coming on the podcast, Adam. Absolutely. Yeah, thank yes. you so much for having me. All right, well, that'll do it for another Behind the Bearcat, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>